Welcome to another episode of LFC Talk. It's the very last day of January. Uh, it's sunny, which is uh, always a plus in January. We can actually see the sky from Hotel Tia, which is lovely. The trees are waving and we have literally dragged in a guest who came <laughs> to, to do an interview with me, bless him, uh, for, uh, from the Blood Red podcast in The Echo. Um, and he had to actually be a guest with us. He didn't have to, but we just think he's such a, uh, a great guy. So we threw him in the empty seat, and uh, it's a sink or swim, isn't it, Mark? It is. I'm not very good at swimming, either, so <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Mark, um, for those who uh, do not know him, his name is uh, Mark uh, McGill, you grew up only 15 minutes walk from Anfield in Melwood Drive. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. You're still talking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's, yeah, I've always like lived, you know, walkable distance from Anfield. I said, grew up on Melwood Drive, now live in Shoebrook. You know, let's say a 15 minute walk from from here, really, being on Anfield Road. And it's, um, yeah, I think a lot of people talk about supporting your local club and stuff like that. And it's Liverpool's, well, it's always been a family club, but it's always been the local club for me as well. So it's, um, you know, walking to the match, I think for a lot of people is part of the match day ritual. So it's something I always love to do. And when I'm not going to the match, I always see the people streaming past my house and I get really jealous when you see the scarves and especially, you know, a night game and stuff like that. If I'm not going, I'm like, oh. But you could have been to walking distant distance of goodness as well. Why did you became um, become a red rather than a uh, blue? Uh, I think like a lot of people, like Liverpool, the family team. Although that's just from my dad. Like I mean, speaking to my dad, he first went to Goodison before he went to Anfield, and I think I'm not sure why he ended up being a Liverpool supporter because his dad was from Ireland and didn't really have any affinity between any team. But for whatever reason, my dad chose Liverpool. I, he, I, he used to go to Anfield Comprehensive. You know, and basically, you could see Anfield uh, from his school window. So instead of doing his school work, he'd be probably watching you know the stadium and daydreaming and stuff like that. So he became a Liverpool fan and then by proxy, it was never really... There's never any other option. I think a lot of people are like that. You know, it's it's you don't really get a choice in the matter. It's, it would be kind of strange to take that other direction. But like I was saying to you before, when we were season ticket holders, when Liverpool were playing away, there was plenty of times that you know me and my dad would go to Goodison and watch Everton, like in the eighties and what have you. And um, you know, obviously before we were talking about that period when Liverpool and Everton were kind of don't want to use a kind of cliche term of you know the friendly rivalry and friendly derby and stuff like that but it was definitely a different time because both clubs were neck and neck both you know Liverpool were winning the league one year another year you know obviously we had a few cup finals throughout the 80s um, and yeah so although Everton were never never an option to support them you know I'd, I'd go and watch them from time to time but Leave it at that. That would be the limit. Because the bitterness wasn't there then, I guess, David Fairclough. You know, when the teams were both so great. I think the the the, the change came about. I think sort of uh, 
Hillsborough Heisel highs, largely, I think, uh, in that period where Everton were, were becoming a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a power, let's say. And um, I think we, 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 they blamed us a little bit on um, uh, for the reasons they weren't able to sort of really continue their sort of European journey. Uh, when I was growing up, Everton were the top team, early 60s. Uh, you know, they had the, the reputation, the, the star names. Obviously, Liverpool were, were just were emerging under the, the, the Shanks uh, days. So it was a really, really exciting time. But yeah, I, I lived in a street which was very much half red, half blue. Uh, I've said this before, but uh, if you walk down our street, you, you went towards Goodison. You, you went up the street, you went to, towards Anfield. So... Um, uh, yeah, football. Football was the was very much the, you know, the, the, that that sort of was a rose above rose above everything in 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 our life where I where I grew up just sort of not so far from here. Did you did you grow up far from Mark, in terms uh, of distance? Oh gosh, we were only I was only hundreds a few hundred yards away from Anfield. Uh, if anybody knows the Beacon Lane and uh, Robson Street sort of uh, area, which. Um, it's been reshaped in in years. I went to school just down this down the Lower Breck Road, so um, I'm Major Leicester. So a lot of people would have used it as a car park in recent years until they they, they f decided to knock it down uh, a couple of years ago. But um, yeah, football was you know everything centered around football. Uh, I was born in Everton. That's just purely by... I mean, Everton's in Walton anyway, but the districts are Liverpool, uh, Liverpool Everton, Walton. I mean, they're only divided by a, by a traffic light in, in most, in, you know, in, those, in most uh, cases. And Karen Elizabeth Gill, um, sitting next to me here, smiling. She's uh, a part of our wonderful Hotel Tia team. Being born into the Shankly family, being the oldest grandchild of uh, the great Bill Shankly, did you really have a choice in terms of choosing a red or a blue uh, destiny? No, I mean, we weren't particularly even encouraged to like football because, as I think I've probably said this before, my granddad, you know, growing up in that period when he was growing up. So he was born in 1913. Um, I don't think it was a thing. His thing was like women probably didn't want to go on to the match and they didn't want to watch football. And then, of course, he got married to my grandmother who was completely hated football with a passion. Really? Yeah, yeah, she didn't like football at all. Um, and obviously it was very intrusive in their lives. I mean, he was just never around. So, um, And then, of course, he had two daughters and I'm pretty sure that was a disappointment to and know that he desperately <laughs> desperately wanted uh a, you know he wanted a son that he could you know kick a football around pass his passion on to and he, he ended up with two girls who weren't particularly encouraged to go to the match either so I mean it was kind of a little bit of a thing where I just didn't even really get interested in football to be honest um that was kind of I, I think a lot of that was probably to do with my nan as well you know she was like very yeah, she didn't like it at all. Well, Shanks, Shanks grew up in a very boy world, didn't he, with oh, four yeah. brothers? So. Well, yeah, there were there were five boys, five, five boys. girls yeah, though, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. so, so they but were, they, they, football was the big, yeah, you know, thing to bond them all together. So maybe Absolutely. it was quite fitting that he had girls and yeah, yeah maybe distraction. Yeah, but Glenbrook was a place where they would just play mm. football all the time. The boys were just out playing football mm. the whole time. So. 
But you grew up uh, partly with your granddad, uh, yep. and then you, you grew up in West Derby, which is uh, in the area not far from where Melwood, uh, well, Melwood is in West Derby, basically, and you didn't live far from, from Melwood. Um, what was it like there? Was it half and half in terms of red and blues as well, or frankly, um, colour of the neighbourhood red? I'm I'm not sure to be honest. I the only thing I really remember is obviously my granddad lived in Belfield, which was re- literally round the corner from Lev- Everton's training ground then. And you know, we would go there often and he would get a massage there from the club doctor or we'd take the dog for a walk, mm. yep. And um so <clears throat> obviously he'd retired by then. I think he did feel very welcome at Everton. And I'll never forget when he died, the day he died, not the day he died, but at the funeral, um, like going down the road, going down Belfield and then around by um, Eaton Road and that, there were just so many blue shirts standing at the side of the road to pay their last respects to my granddad, which I thought always found that extremely emotional. And so... I mean, we were talking about bitter rivalry. For me, it was more of a friendly rivalry, but a lot of respect from... Uh, so I grew up always believing that, yes, there was a rivalry with Everton fans, but it was kind of a... There was a respect there as well, but I don't feel that so much. I don't the, feel that there is that respect now. At the so time, much. I I grew, mm. I had moved to West Derby myself, and uh, I mean, Shanks was very much a character of the of the, the neighbourhood, so mm. it's 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 sort of quite... Uh, it's kind of an obvious, really, because he was very much a man of the people, even though, you know, he was, he'd been a red. Uh, people got used to seeing him walking around mm-hmm. Eaton Road yeah. and go, going in the head, you know, the, uh, the, barbers, the barbers and the head. The cafe. Yeah, yeah. So We were just saying before, my nan used to be mm. in the laundrette on Eaton yeah. Road all the time as well. So it mm. was kind of the where Alder Hay was just down the road. Yeah, so exactly. that was a place that he would often be. Yeah. There's lots of great um, photos in our digital photo archive of from being outside the house yeah and like groups of kids yeah and that must have been a, like a regular occurrence that was of, one of my favorite photos of him leaning over the gate uh, post and you can see there's like maybe three or four kids just looking at him yeah. absolute adoration mm. and, and he's a, got a big smile on his face and a mark of the you know the esteem he was held in the area they named the bill shankly the, the playing the, fields the road playing fields was yeah changed to Bill Shankly Bainfield, so that was very, very fitting as he, yeah. he played there most Sunday afternoons. Yeah. Anyway. So the joke, it was more like a joke, that, that quote, when he said, you know, if Everton was playing in my backyard, I would uh, close the oh, curtains. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, anyway, because he would have had to look out the front of the house, not the back, to see Everton, so that was just purely, yeah, it was just his just banter. Yeah, his banter. Yeah. Mark, you grew up in a time when you could uh, quite frequently see players, Liverpool players, in your neighbourhood. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I wonder if David might have been through this. Like, obviously, we spoke earlier about it being a regular occurrence to see um, players, Liverpool and Everton players and disc jockeys as well, driving around the city in a car that they've had some kind of arrangement with a local dealership. Mm. And it might say David Fairclough drives have, Ian Skelly cars. I was a bit too fussy. <laughs> well, I think I remember seeing Ronnie Whelan's car mm, in a car park, yeah, and Ford, maybe, yeah. maybe Steve Nichol or maybe Bruce Scott, like that era. So that was a, a regular thing, you know. Those kind of, you know, what you see a Ford Escort or a Capri, or if if they get a bit fancier. Um, 
and that'd be a regular thing, I say, especially for the Radio City DJs and some of the Liverpool and Everton players. And it's just, it seems like a different, a different reality. Obviously, that the, the sponsor, the sponsors guard thing kind of kicked off. You know, it moved uh, a lot in the eighties with the likes of Ronnie and a few of the boys. I mean, in our time, quite sort of. Um, well, it's not famous, but Alan Kennedy and Phil Neal were the only two with, when the, there was the Larders uh, offered for sponsors. <laughs> they're the only two that, that took them up. Now, Larders at that time didn't have a very uh, sort of glowing uh, reputation. So uh, maybe that was in desperation. Two of those, two of I, reviews. I kept my little sports car, Kevin Keegan likewise. Uh, uh, no, it was, uh, it was one of those things... Uh, it, it, it sort of it emerged more than uh, in more in the eighties. I had a sponsor card in Switzerland though, which was a nice one. I was oh, really? Quite readily happy one. to. Uh, yeah, Golf GTI, which was quite nice. Did to, it have uh, your name on the side? Did of have my name? In. <laughs> quite sort of uh, not blatant blaze, uh. <laughs> but it had my name on the car, which was a nice. Uh, so now we know that strikers want faster engines. They're not going to go with any sponsor <laughs> deal. I think they tend to be a little bit more. Yeah, they. they it has to be. Of a certain type, yeah. Yeah. Um, Mark, looking back at, at the time uh, growing up around here, what is your um, strongest memory from being a Red? Well, growing up, um, I'd probably say, I mean, I started going to Anfield in 85. So I was post highs on, it was attendances were kind of down. And there was like, you know, I was only young, but you could tell it was like a, just a, a bit of a general cloud over the game. You know, there was a lot of hooligan issues right through the game. And it was, you know, it wasn't the most welcoming of atmospheres to a lot of people. To me, it was just like magical or whatever when I first started going. But when we first got a season ticket, me and my dad was the, um, the season that John Barnes, uh, John Aldridge... Peter Beardsley all kind of well I think Aldo was there previously yeah but the um, that team when that team was kind of created and just hit the ground running um, there was like a real excitement because I think that was the first few games away from Anfield because yeah, there, there was a hole, way, there was a hole in the cup that's right so there was a real excitement I can't remember what the first game at Anfield was but I remember there just being a, a general buzz I remember that I remember that whole period I mean it was relatively short say two or three years when it had that you know explosive nature of the team and the real just creativity and it's just fun to watch you know and it's kind of someone who's young getting into football it was just um, like unbelievable time to watch and like you know watch you know you've seen John Barnes you know, the things he was doing on the pitch for Liverpool stuff that we not really seen I don't think in in a, a Liverpool team, even though the, the team itself wasn't really built on superstars, it was bit, there was still built on a work ethic and a team ethic. You could just see the excitement whenever the ball went to John Barnes. You could sense it around the ground. I think that rather than like individual moments, when I look back at that era, it's just that whole period and that just general. Um, I say. The, buzz, the general buzz and excitement around that team was just incredible. I think, I don't think we'd seen anything as entertaining. And maybe when that um, 
Brendan Rodgers, Luis Suarez, that season there, there was a similar kind of, yeah, that whole thing, the the way those front front three gelled together and had that real connection, that reminded me, you know, of of the, you know, Barnes, Aldridge, Beardsley, um, that kind of, Ray Houghton, all that team. Uh, Just full of characters. That was like, you know, it's these people who are just larger than life, especially as like a young you know, a young person going through like the formative years and you're seeing these people like superheroes, you know what I mean? And all the players seem to have these um, individual characters, you know, like, you know, it might as well have been a soap opera or a TV show, you know, it was, it was that kind of clear cut, the personalities throughout the team. You know, you look at, you know, Steve McMahon or, um, you know, Craig Johnson or any of these players, you immediately know what, they're all about what the personality was about and that kind of translated to the football as well. So it was like, it was just like a really great time, I think, to be a Liverpool fan. I think young players now, maybe not right now, but probably of you know, the past three years or so probably have a, a similar um, a similar experience because I think there's that kind of classic Klopp era probably had a, a similar thing with the distinct personalities and a distinct overall personality and just like a really enjoyable, fun team to watch. And I think you don't really get that a lot in football. It's not that fun a lot of the time. No, it's, it's a lot of time it's just it, doing your job and, and yeah. make sure you, you, you pick those points. But David, you know, it, it was quite extraordinary that year he's mentioning, 87, 88, where the two biggest profiles, Daglish and Rush, was out of the team and... And they had to create a complete new team. And that's probably what Liverpool is, is looking into now, trying to do. That transmission is taking longer than just clicking instantly like it did that year with, with those players, like Mark is saying. I think the developments of Liverpool down the years has always been quite brutal. And, uh, and maybe this transformation currently is, is taking a little bit longer than maybe has done in, you know, Shanks and took the axe to the 69 team. Uh, Bob Paisley broke up the, you know, the early the mid seventies team you know, with the likes of Hughes and Smith, and you know Keegan moved on of his own choice. But but still, in all, there's always been periods where the big names have been moved on. This time we're we're kind of in a we're in a, it's a different type of approach these days. I think to to how Liverpool has been has worked down the the generations. Um, sometimes you have to be brutal and you have to make big decisions and uh, I know there's been a little bit of discussion recently that maybe, you know, it's not, doesn't have quite that sort of uh, approach at the moment and uh, I think we're seeing that. I think the team does need change and needs probably uh, a radical change, actually. It, it won't be... It won't be. It won't happen with just put changing a piece of the jigsaw. It might. It might need. It might need a few bit. A few pieces. Let's talk a little bit about the lack of hunger in a little bit with the current team. But before we do that, I don't know if you know the answer to this, Karen, because your granddad was such a people's man. Um, and I'm wondering, did he ever sometimes um, feel awful about letting some of the the, the players he really, really loved go? Was he sometimes in doubt? Do you think? I can only put my kind of um, slant on it, but you know, having done research for my book back back in 
well, quite a while ago now, about 15 years ago, doing some research and that. <clears throat> I imagine he probably did because he'd gone through a kind of similar experience because he used to play for Preston. Mm -hmm. Then there was the war and then he went back to Preston, but he was kind of, he was in his early 30s by then. So he was kind of a little bit, he'd helped build up Preston and I'm sure he was very loyal, obviously, to that team. And then he's kind of been sidelined a little bit. So I think he probably was coming at it from a point of view of maybe he understood how it felt to be in that position and that maybe clouded his judgment on some things or it made him approach the whole thing in a kind of different way that maybe wasn't the way that it was actually needed at that time. But that's only my take on things. I, I really don't know exactly I, how I mean, at the end obviously. of the 60s, obviously, Hunts and St John were all coming to an end of their... Uh, the, you know, well, in those days, it was expect, accepted that the footballers basically were coming to an end 30 and, you know, a couple of years on. Um, but, uh, you know... Shanks had built this uh, the 60s team, but he had to break it up, and, uh, and it was tough. And I've heard stories down the years, you know, his conversations with Roger, who was my idol, uh, and Ian St. John and, uh, and the likes, who, were, who was a huge character. Um, you know, it, it, it was difficult, very difficult, you know, to move Ron Yates from centre-half centre to, I mean... Moving Van Yates to left back, uh, you know. I mean, all these these things were they needed doing, but uh, and I don't think he found it easy at all. Uh, as must a, be really hardly. Mm. Yeah, but guys that he brought in as you know, sort of boys, really young men, and then seen all this glory, molded them into something very special. Uh, to then turn around and say, look, you know, but lads, this is, it's time to sort of, we, we've got to move on, uh, you know, and it, thankfully he had the drive. And that's something that, that still exists within. And the, the fans have been, uh, have been have developed and, and in that sense, the expectation is, is still there. If Shanks had been happy to just sort of uh, wander, you know, wander through the 60s and the 70s with an, an aging group, then... You know, the pool history would have been different and our approach to things is different. The expectation is always to get better and better and keep that sort of betterment continuing. So you, you do have to wield the axe at times. And, um, and I think, you know, I've said this before, but I mean, I thought, OK, you can say about the players being tired this year a little bit of that, that, you know, some people say that. But, you know, the fans don't expect, le you know, the, 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 the disappointment and, and all those things... Just because we, we lost at the weekend and, and you, you could say, oh, well, they, are, they are tired. It was massive, massive disappointment. Sunday was a real anti-climax going out of the cup. And so that's never, you know, that's never gone away from uh, Liverpool and that's existed. And, and, that, and that, that emerged to the Shanks sort of in, in, in built that into, into the Liverpool psyche, uh, the expectation. And, and doing those brutal things, I, you know, getting rid of Roger Hunt and Ian St. John, didn't want to do it, but, uh, you know, it had to be done. I work with Sam Lee this weekend in Norway, both uh, John Barnes and Sam Lee and Kieran Molyneux from, from Bosnia. We went and did a little tour in Norway with Norwegian supporters clubs. And what you're saying there just reminds me of what Sammy said. Sammy said that because, you know, uh, he's been involved now with coaching within so many of the Liverpool sides. You know, he worked under, obviously played in the heydays and then worked under Suness and Julier and Evans and, and came back here yeah, and Doug Leach and came back with Rafa and has been with Big Sam now up till 2020 and, and, and worked with numerous um, Premier League clubs. 
And he said the, the person that reminds him the most of Shankly ever um, as a manager is by far Jürgen Klopp. Maybe Jürgen is too nice. Could that be it? That he's not axing enough? Because what I saw against the FA Cup um, uh, team that was playing on, on um, this weekend against Brighton was a lack of hunger and passion. I think because these guys have won everything, you know, they are the ranging champions in the FA Cup. They won the League Cup. They won the Champions League. They've been to the Champions League final now three times this, this side, a lot of them. Uh, they won the League, um, yeah, so they won the Champions League and they won the League. Uh, I'm just wondering, maybe one of the hardest things is to <clears throat> motivate yourself after you've won all of this and then you almost win everything the previous season. And then maybe, you know, that the, they won't admit it, I don't think, that, you know, We've won it all now, so we're not that hungry anymore to, to fight for any more victories because they obviously saw how much it meant to the fans to win. But mm. can it be something in it? That... Uh, I don't. Well, certainly I can appreciate the, the likeness to, uh, to, to Shanks from Jurgen. I don't think uh, the previous managers have sort of quite sort of built up the relationship with the fans like, like uh, Shanks did. Uh, might be, you know, you could maybe say Kenny Dalglish had a. Yeah, had a rapport, but uh, but certainly Jurgen really fully grasps what the what the fans are are about. But I don't think there's a lack of drive there. I think what Jurgen transmits on the TV sometimes is not every. I mean, it, it is how he is, but I'm sure if uh, if standards don't uh, live up to expectation, then what goes on in the dressing room, I'm sure, is not all sort of sweetness and light. I think he, he gets into them. And it's maybe no coincidence, uh, I heard this that the other day, that little uh, of not since COVID haven't lost two games on the bounce. So I think Jürgen goes in. You know, I think you lose a game, uh, the games that we've lost, I think there's always been a bit of a bounce back in the, in the Jürgen time. And that says something about his personality. But, you know, uh, and, and it's, you can't sort of harp on, you know, and I'm probably, I'm guilty of doing that, but uh, harp on, on the past. But Shankly was this, in, uh, Shankly and Paisley were these really, you know, nobody won more than Paisley. Uh, his attitude never diminished. It wasn't a case of saying, well, we won last year and we can accept. I mean, I haven't been a part of it. Uh, the drive was, was unbelievable to win and win. And it was just, you know, you won one day. Okay, it's now the next, you know, the next day. And it's, it's no, um, there's no, no th it's never been a thing of saying acceptance of, of the past. It's all, you're always striving and striving. And I'm sure Jürgen has that. He, he, he's a, a fierce competitor. And I hope he, you know, I hope he has. Because, uh, as I said earlier, the expectation is massive here. Uh, and the disappointment of going out the, the two cups in the last month or so has been uh, has been really downhearted. You know, it's really uh, it's been a bit of a nightmare actually. Mm. Uh, don't, we don't I don't like sort of mediocrity. You know, we're winners. No, well, that's the thing, Mark. Do you think we will bounce back? Because we really have to now. We are ten points, if I remember right, behind um, United in fourth, and but they they have one more game played than us, so that's doable. But I mean, the, the, the matches are coming thick and fast. We've got Wolves coming up this weekend, and then we have Derby, where we have to be up for that, um, and then Real Madrid is coming to town, and then we go away to Crystal Palace. So it's it's quite a rough sort of mentally rough round um, run coming up with away games and really tough home games, mentally tough home yeah, games. Yeah, I think 
I mean, you wouldn't rule anything out with this team. And obviously, we saw it a couple of years ago when I think we managed to finish third in the end of that season with Allison's header and all that kind of stuff. And they went on that incredible run. So you wouldn't rule out from this group of players. I think it's probably a big ask. Um, because at the minute you can't really see where the consistency is coming from. You can see them getting results. I mean, I could see them beating Real Madrid. You know, you can see them getting results in the big games. Um, but then it's, you know, going to, you know, the smaller teams or whatever, however you want to frame that, then it seems like the consistency just isn't there for those. So it's, I think, I think it's, it's two part. One is that obviously there's the injuries and you can't discount all that. And the kind of, I think people talk about the midfield being the issue. I see it really as the front three being the issue, you know, where you've got players who are, you know, it's completely new front three at the minute. Previous years, we've had a really consistent front three. Obviously we complemented that with, with Jota coming in and Diaz coming in. And there's been a rotation there and it worked great at the minute. There's no room for rotation. There's the injuries there. So I think the problem is a starting from the top of the pitch and then it's just continuing down and the, the players are obviously not helping themselves in certain situations. So there is the injuries, but also the players just look kind of totally bereft of confidence at times. So I've just talked about the injuries, but that, you know, injuries up front didn't make Alisson pass the ball to... I can't even remember what game it was. Was it Wolves or there was, uh, you know, when, yeah, that's it. So that no injury situation made Allison do that. That's like, you know, a mental lapse. And we've seen it with other players. It's kind of spread throughout the team where they're making passes where they just shouldn't be doing it and make, you know, doing things where um, normally they wouldn't be trying these things. Maybe they're trying too hard. I think we've seen that with Trent. He's making certain passes he's trying to make things happen which is good that's like a, a mentally strong thing to do but also it's trying to force a situation where maybe in previous seasons the whole team would be a bit more relaxed be a bit more confident in their own abilities and the ability of the, the group as a whole but at the minute they'll just look kind of shattered mentally but then I think you haven't got anyone better than Jürgen Klopp in terms of maybe bringing a group together and working on the mental aspect of the players, I think. So I think it's possible that we could get a little run. I think once you've got two or three games, maybe you'd see the confidence return to certain players and you can build on that. But the moment you're thinking, where are those two or three games, you know, with two or three wins going to come from? But I think we've got Wolves next, is it? And then obviously Everton coming up, I think obviously a good derby win will boost the entire team. So Before Real Madrid. Yeah, and then I think if we can get a good result there um, and go through, which again, I think is entirely possible. I think people are writing us off already, but I think it's possible because I think the bigger the, we've seen it you know, over the past five years or so, the bigger the game, the more Liverpool turn up. I think if we can get through that, then maybe the season can kickstart from there and we can get a bit of a run. And then all it takes is, you know, the teams above us to slip a little bit there, you know, they're not going to go on these runs forever. Everyone has a, a little dip. So I think it's it's going to be interesting. I think as long as Liverpool don't really fall off and they're trying, I think that's all we want as fans, isn't it? To see them put in the efforts and be there or thereabouts. You can't win everything. You can't win every game. But it's just when we've seen them just kind of, from the outside, just looking in, it looks like they're giving up at certain times. I'm sure it's not like that, but that's the kind of perception and that's like hard to watch. 
Yeah, it's a fun. It is hard to watch. But that, that brings us into the transfer window. And forgive us, guys, if you listen to this after uh, the transfer window has closed, because there are still a few hours left today. So things can happen. I can't really see it happen, but... What we do know is that Chelsea has been out there shopping, shopping, shopping. They've spent over 200 million. Um, Newcastle and Leeds have been quite eager to. Obviously, not nothing like the numbers of Chelsea. They've spent like just under the 50 million mark. But with Liverpool, um, we've really just got Cody, haven't we? Cody um, Gakpo, and then we've got um, three players. Or yeah, well, hang on now. One, two, three, four, five, six players back from loans, including. Reese Williams, um, <laughs> I think personally is a little bit exciting how Romeo Beckham is coming to Brentford from, from Miami. <laughs> That's just me trying to see some glimpses of fun in this rather gloomy season. Uh, <laughs> David, what's your take on this, this window? I, I think, you know, we live in a time where people, some people, you know, younger people maybe think buying is the answer to everything, you know. Uh, and it's not the, the 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 way Liverpool work. It's um, you know the the each club has their own sort of business model. Ours perhaps is is slightly more reserved, and then we have a manager who who really only chooses players that he wants rather than sort of bringing in uh, a player just for the sake of it. You know, we, we we live in hope that Diaz and Jota are fit to to rejoin and and. Um, uh, Firmino will will be back in the ranks. You know, I think I think if you get some of your bigger names, perhaps back into the uh, into the group, then that that could change. That could change. I was just thinking earlier this morning. I think if you if you had a starting lineup of Salah, Firmino, and Nunes, I mean, you, you could challenge uh, Madrid. You know, uh, um, that's going to be a big night. Uh, obviously, we've got a couple of league games in in, in the meantime. But uh, I think I can see. You know. Ever the optimist, I, I think here, uh, you know, wouldn't I wouldn't rule out a run in the uh, the Champions League. That would be devastating to go out this early uh, this time round. But uh, we said this a week or two ago. We we fancied our chances in the FA Cup and uh, and a run in the FA Cup, and and that sort of unfortunately bit the dust. So, uh, but I do think that if we if we can get. I think Firmino brings something to the... I think you could be a bit critical of Firmino at times. I mean, I've always been a Firmino fan, but the last couple of years he's looked a little bit off the pace. But perhaps the fact that he's been out so much for so long, he will come back rejuvenated. Uh, and I think he adds something really different, even if he's in a, a sort of a, you know, maybe for all the, you know, some of the little bit of slackness occasionally that's crept into his game. He brings us something different and the link that he provides, I think is, is kind of vital at the moment. I think he is one of the, he's one of the big things for me that is, that is missing. Somebody that actually joins the game up. Uh, you know, and who naturally will drop a bit deeper, fill yeah. out the midfield, rather than maybe some players having to adapt to do that. He just, mm. he just knows, I think, I think you're, you're definitely right there. I think mm. maybe people underestimating how much we've missed him, I think. I think so. I think, uh, as I say, I think a little bit of his form hasn't been as good as it was maybe, you know, four years ago, yeah. uh, three years ago. Um, but I think he, he still has something to really, really offer us. And I think his guile and his... His approach to the game, I think he, I think he's one who I've, I've really, I've missed being in, being in the, in the, in the group. But as I say, I think we're, we're not in the, you know, 
buy it to fix everything sort of type of uh, club. We, you know, we, we we build in a in a way. The transfer window has been so that we, we can sit, you know, we can kind of sit there and look and see what other clubs are doing, and and they have a long term. Uh, plan. I mean, Chelsea's is a very interesting approach to to doing things, but they've taken advantage. They found a way around the uh, the restrictions of uh, financial fair play, and and they're trying to uh, maximise that while it's still it's still available. The the, the gate will be closed uh, later in the summer, but still and all, strange. They they, they they've uh, they've really lit up the the transfer with this with this month has been unbelievable to see. Uh, although I do hear that uh, actually in the first year of uh, Abramovich's re- uh, reign at Chelsea, he actually spent more money than they, they, they've spent wow. this. So I mean, uh, they are sort of they they have their way of doing things. <laughs> it's a huge approach, you know. It, it's very appealing, I'm sure, to, to for some players to come and play in London. Chelsea has always had a little bit of a sort of a, a, an appeal, I think, to to foreign. To foreign players, I'm sure the wages probably don't harm either. I imagine yeah. that the, you know, I imagine that the players are probably getting quite a good package down there as well. Well, I think I think the you know the the spend is is in danger of going off the you know is is rising more than the uh, the the incomings uh, yeah. I think at the moment. But I think Chelsea, from what I gather, they've reduced their their, their salaries a little bit. So oh, really? so the, some of the new players, while they're being bought for. Hundred million and and the like, they're still only picking up, you know, less than hundred thousand pound a week, which is, um, you know, for for some clubs they they they're paying much more. Two hundred and fifty, yeah. three hundred seems to be a bit of a. So they must have their own model. There, but... So they've got a model and they know what to do. And I think it won't be a surprise to see a number of players leaving Chelsea very, very soon if they can get a few off the wage bill. I think uh, it's an interesting uh, model. I think that they're, that they're going for. They're going to be a team of the future, I'm sure. You were mentioning John Barnes. I just want to add that um, uh, Roberto Firmino is John Barnes' favourite player of this current team, just so you know. Oh, really? Just to link <laughs> up what you said about 87, 88 and onwards. Um, Mark, on, on down seasons like this, you know, we've been so lucky. We've been so privileged over the last few seasons where we've just been winning for fun. It's been hard work, obviously, but it, it's been so much fun being fans. And now we're having a little bit of a transmission period. How do you cope when... when you know, you get one disappointment after the other after being on such a high for so long. Um, I, I don't know, I'll probably detach from it a little bit. You know, I think it's it's the same as probably a lot of people when, you, when your team is winning and you're on a roll and you're really enjoying it, then you'll consume everything about it. And me, obviously, the, the industry I'm working with, it makes it so much easier when we're making content to go on, online and Liverpool doing really well. You see the numbers and the engagements really spike when uh, Liverpool are doing badly, such as right now people don't really want to read and don't want to watch videos about you know how the team is struggling. It's, it's really hard to sell that to people, and uh, it's really hard to come up with you know interesting ideas to make videos on you know Liverpool getting beat by Brighton. No one wants to watch that. People just no. People just want to turn off and look forward to the next game. Um, so yeah, it's it's. <clears throat> excuse me. It's um, I, for me personally, I just maybe will just disengage for a little bit, and I'm better now at coping with these kind of things. I used to get really, really, kind of too emotionally involved with it. I think a lot of people can do, and you know, it just ruined your day. Especially you get an early kickoff, you know. 
Liverpool, Man United, the usually the early kickoffs, and we went through a period there, a long period where we'd just get beat by them, you know, an injury time winner and all this kind of stuff. And then your weekend's ruined, you know, and, you know, like my partner, she's got, you know, she, she keeps in touch with, like, how Liverpool are going. She's a fan. She's not as engaged as me, but she'll have the app on her phone and she'll always be like, she'll know what the result is. So she knows how to kind of tiptoe around me, you know, if it went a come with that kind of thing. And that's not a good way to be. So I'm ch- I try and, like, step away from it a little bit now and not not be as kind of, um, as I say, emotionally involved because it, it's not a good place to be, I think. So you just have to remind yourself, oh, you know, it's only football. And even though you're saying it, it's like, it's, you know, it still can ruin your night at least or ruin your day. But yeah, I just try and, uh, try and just step away a little bit and put it into a bit of context, even if that's not always easy. David, you're a very competitive man. Uh, how are the disappointments like the FA Cup uh, throw out <laughs> this weekend for you? Well, Mark said losing an, uh, an early uh, in the day kickoff is uh, ruining your day a little bit. I mean, I had plenty of distraction actually after the game to this weekend. So I'm disappointed, like uh, like everybody. And but I don't, I'm, you know. Mark said a couple of things that sort of uh, fall into my way of thinking. It is only football at the end of the day. Uh, you know, you know, as you probably get older, you know, that, that sort of uh, depends what you have within your, uh, in your normal lifestyle. But, uh, yeah, I've learned to take it sort of. And I was, I was disappointed after. I was downhearted initially after the game. But uh, what, what, What's the difference from, like, you being as a player? Say if you get knocked out of a cup, as a player, and now you're seeing Liverpool get knocked out of a cup as a supporter. What's the kind of difference in how you felt and how you feel now? Obviously, you're participating now and now you're watching. Is it a similar kind of thing? Well, I think the last season, I look back at the weekend and the, you know, such a great day to go down to Wembley on the Carabao Cup final day and the FA Cup final day. And when you get to those points in the season and you're not there, uh, I mean, I don't know the date of the FA Cup final this year, but uh, it used to always be the climax. So to be involved in the FA Cup was something massive and to go out of it was uh, was hugely disappointing. Um, I was fortunate to, to be involved in a couple of good cup runs, but uh, never, never, um, uh, yeah, you, you, you live it differently as a player. Obviously, there's so much more riding on it, you know, your, your, uh, your career, first and foremost. Um, uh, the, you know, living up to the, being in, I mean, I was, I was naturally a Liverpool lad, so I'm around, you know, you're around the place and you, you're bumping into people throughout the, the days and, weeks after the uh, any disappointment so it was massive it was a massive uh, thing to lose a game as a player uh, I only hope it's uh, sometimes and I was talking to, I was with Phil Neal uh, last week uh, after the, the, the after the Chelsea game but I mean we, we talk a little bit about you know hopefully the players feel the way we feel you know, at times that I think there can be a tendency to say, well, that the rewards are so great that they don't feel quite the same sort of emotion that would that we had, because um, it was it, it was awfully you stay you lay low if, if ever <laughs> if ever a result went the wrong way, then you certainly wasn't you weren't seen out in the streets or. I think you probably took your wife's car if you had that <laughs> branded car. <laughs> I don't, in those days, I mean, a few of us lived in a two, two you know, had two car families. Uh, I think 
you know, these these days, you know, th there's no comparison for many, many reasons. Uh, but um, I'd like to think that, you know, d the disappointments that, that we that we felt is, is being felt uh, in the in these times as well. It, it was massive. It was a massive loss to go out the FA Cup. I really couldn't see us actually uh, getting knocked out. I really thought there was going to be a react. Well, I knew there was going to be a reaction. Uh, but I didn't think Brank had the, had the ability to beat us twice. It was very, very disappointing. And particularly the way that it happened so late in the game. I mean, they are real kicks in the gut, aren't they? Yeah, uh, it's a great goal as well. Goal. A great finish. Anyway. It, was a, it was a great finish. He's a great player, yeah. actually. He's, he's a player that really has taken the eye. He won't be in Brighton next season, him. No, I think there'll be a few players there. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Mitoma, by the way, yes. if anybody wonders. <laughs> um, no, he was great. Uh, but there will be positive things coming up, you know, things that doesn't depend on results and uh, a really positive warm-up to a big clash, the clash between Liverpool and Manchester United uh, first weekend of March, which is, guys, the closest uh, home game to the International Women's Day. And Karen, we have been working in the background to release an event. Tell us a little bit of what we're doing. Okay, so it's uh, my, only my second time being involved in this, but it's the Live at Girls International event, which will, be, which will take place um, 12 o'clock Anfield um, on the 4th of March. Yeah, we are actually taking over Anfield. There will only be us as women in there, uh, women from all over the world, because Anfield is normally completely closed the day before a match. So this is the club being very supportive of us, so we can warm up in style. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of the faces and the people that I met last uh, last year. It was a really lovely event, and um, people from Canada and and obviously from Norway. Um, somebody from Australia, I think, was there last time. France. So I'm really looking forward just to seeing some of the the girls that that I met last year. It was just such a lovely event, and obviously um, some community supported. Um, tables some ladies from from the region and they were so lovely um look hopefully uh, hoping to meet some some new people this year and of course the lady who was in the the, the peggy, peggy. Oh, oh she peggy was amazing come back peggy yeah. is 90 and she had never she'd never been to the new uh, main stand even though she's been to every single compile <laughs> except Madrid, she couldn't get a ticket to, bless her. She's been to every single big major cup final for, I don't know how many decades, 50, was it? I think it's 50. But the community seats that Karen is mentioning is, um, you can, when you sign on, you can also buy a sponsored seat or half a sponsored seat, or you can buy a community table where you sponsor 10 local ladies who wouldn't have the chance to come otherwise. Um, big Reds, obviously, from Liverpool North, or it will be parents from the Milstead School uh, a school in the area, um, a school for kids with special needs who... Moms who need a little break because it's hard work, you know? Um, uh, being always on, on, on the toes uh, for kids who need a lot of support, which is... Uh, we had 20, I think, moms from Milstead last year and I've never ever, I think, ever met so much gratitude. Uh, in one night, you know, how they had such a good time with our motivational speakers and, and the DJ and the live music and the lovely food and just, just being together, meeting fellow, fellow female Reds. So the tickets are just now out, so you have to, have to, have to uh, be quick and, and, and get yours um, at Skiddle, Live Girls at Skiddle, or you can just go to Hotel Tia's webpage or go to Instagram. Uh, Live Girls International has 
their own Instagram, so you can find the ticket link in the in the bio. Is that what they say? Bio, uh, or um, on our Facebook page, which is also Live Girls International. But you have to be a woman to 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 get access there because it's a safe space for women, so they can share all their opinions and passions and questions without feeling, you know, they have to be qualified or judged on on their uh, opinions or questions. So it's, it's, it's a lovely campaign just to celebrate diversity, friendship, uh, inclusion, um, empowerment as well. So it's, um, I can't wait, I can't wait. Um, eventually, guys, um, I would like to end, Karen, because we have talked so much about um, injuries today. You know, that's probably the big key to why we're not uh, doing so well right now because our key players are injured. How was your granddad in terms of injuries? Well, I don't think he was injured very often, but if any of his players got injured, he was just ignore them, I think. He just didn't... Yeah, but, um, yeah, I mean, I was quite an um, accident-prone child, so I actually have been on the receiving end of his... Um, yeah, it's just not very empathetic <laughs> at all. Even as a child, you know, eight years old, falling over, I'll never forget, like running over to him and he just kind of completely avoided me, just keep away from me. Yeah, he was just not... That was just... I don't know, I think any sign of weakness. He just wasn't really. That was not... Especially uh, with his players, you know, that was a definite... That would not be a good thing, yeah. Just avoid. Avoid injury. And if you were injured, avoid him. <laughs> Anfield folklore uh, had it that uh, Shanks would never go into the treatment room. You know, he walked mm. past the treatment room, he felt it was infection, you know, it was yeah. catching. <laughs> so uh, don't go in there. And, you know, strangely, I think that exists in football. I think uh, players who are injured, they kind of then begin to want to be a part of that, that sort of injured thing, you know. Uh, I think when, when things are going well, and, and players, you know, uh, players don't want to be caught up and be, and be injured because they, they want to be a part of success. But when things are going a little bit wrong, I have to say, I mean, it sound, might sound odd and I've had one or two eyebrows raised down the years, but I think it, I think it does become uh, catching. I think people enjoy being, I think I'll sort of have a, a week or two out of the action, you know what I mean? But you don't get, you don't get people missing things out. You know, to, when when cup finals are uh, are approaching the, yeah. and the like. <laughs> well, then you do like Phil Neal, and you well not on a, on the final, but you do play with a broken toe or a broken collarbone. That that's how you did it back in the days. Uh, dearest, dearest uh, David Fairclough, thank you so much for today, and same with you, Karen Elizabeth Jill. Uh, but I have to say, hat off to Mark McGill, who just um, just got thrown into the deep end. And you do know how to swim, my friend. You do know Thank how you to swim. Thank you very much. <laughs> From the Blood Red podcast uh, at The Echo, please check it out. My name is Ragnar Lund Ansnes, and I'm wishing you a good week and keep your head up because oh, it's only football.